Hello, hello everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world today. My name's Emily. I'm one of the tutors and streamers here at Chatterbug. Um, and if you haven't watched one of my streams before, I am originally from Canada, so you will hear a Canadian accent today. Also lived in the UK for a little while, and currently I am traveling. So right now I am streaming to you live from Colombia. Um, normally, maybe you've seen some of my streams where I've been in my camper van. It is still in the shop. So right now I am in a hotel. Um, hopefully I will get my camper back in the next day or so, and then I can continue traveling. Um, so yeah, I'll probably be in Colombia for like another, another week or so, and then I'll keep driving south. All right. So, so nice to have you here today. Come say hello in the chat. Let me know where you're from. <clears throat> Today, we are going to talk about wine. Um, now, I think this is a topic which must interest lots of us. I think there's different types of wine around the world. It's been around for a really long time. Um, the earliest wine that I could find in my research, this is just my own random research, um, it seems like around 6,000 BC in Georgia and Iran, are the earliest signs of wine. However, um, about a thousand years before that, in China, they were drinking sort of a fermented rice drink, which could almost be like a rice wine. So it's been a part of our culture around the world for a really long time. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so, you know, we have the image of big barrels of grapes being stomped into juice. Uh, the Greeks even had a god uh, for wine. And so it's been kind of part of um, culture and religion even for a very long time around the world. So I would like to know, tell me, what is your favorite drink? So um, for me, I think it kind of depends on what I'm doing. I definitely like to have maybe a glass of red wine when it's a bit colder out, uh, maybe white wine in the summer. Uh, beer is always great when you're at the beach, a really nice cold beer. Um, or liquor, do you prefer to have something like a gin and tonic or other cocktails? What would you choose? Um, or maybe you don't drink. And so uh, unless it's a special occasion or maybe because of religion or you just don't like the flavor, Let's hear what would be your choice. <laughs> and Cordy says, could I choose two of them? Yeah, of course. <laughs> this is just what would be your preference if you could just choose one. And so we have a mix of people. Yeah, as I said, it kind of varies for me, I guess, what, what I'm in the mood for. Um, yeah, beer and red wine. Awesome. Cool. So, yeah, today we're going to learn a little bit about wine tasting. So what are the things you look for? Um, tasting notes of different wines, different regions where it comes from, and a few of, of the kind of most famous wineries that I could find um, that maybe you would like to visit one day. So a few more fun history facts. So apparently um, when you are cheersing someone, uh, or when you raise a glass and give a toast or give a speech. Apparently, this term actually started because people would literally put uh, a piece of toasted bread into their cup. So in ancient Rome, uh, the wine was so acidic, so kind of almost sour, 
that they would put this toasted bread into the glass to cut through the acid. Um, the next one. So in the past, drinking to someone's health was considered a bad thing or dark. Um, so let's see here. So nowadays, you might kind of raise a toast. I drink to you, to your health. Whereas back in ancient Greece, um, the host would show that they are drinking to others' health to show that they weren't trying to poison um, the guests. So a bit of a different past there. And winemaking as a religious thing. So nowadays, maybe some religions don't allow alcohol. However, the monks in the Middle Ages were those who actually started to um, do a lot of the techniques that give us the modern wine that we have today. So maybe you've heard of um, Dom Perignon, which is a champagne brand in France. And that was started by a monk there in the Champagne region who was experimenting with different winemaking methods. So it, did, it was a big part of religious culture as well. Cool. And so who do we have here? So we have Mexico, Venezuela, Iraq, and India in the house. Cool. Good to have you all here. Let's learn some more about wine. So I have a few quiz questions here for how you could describe wine, um, some different vocabulary. Let's see how you do. So the first one is a wine that has a taste or a smell of wood is described as foresty, woody, oaky, or pine flavor. What do you think you would say if you're having a glass of wine and you say, hmm, that's a bit. All right. And we also have Pablo from Colombia. So Pablo, right now I am in Colombia. I'm in Medellin at the moment. I've been here for a little more than a week in the city. Okay. So most people saying woody. It's not woody, although it seems like the most obvious choice. It's actually oaky. And that is because um, wine, which is kept in oak barrels, takes on the flavor of that type of wood. And so the traditional way to um, store the wine is in an oak barrel. Okay, next one. A wine that feels heavy in the mouth is called, do you just call it heavy? So it's a heavy wine. Do you say it's weighted? Do you say it's full-bodied or is it just tasty? Something which feels heavy. Um, so someone, Cordy said they like red wine. So this is often a way that you would describe a red wine, probably not a white or a rosé. All right, and most of you've got that one right. Yes, exactly. So you would call it a full-bodied wine. This would be a great way to describe something like a Malbec, which is a very rich, uh, a rich red wine. And I'm by no means a wine expert. Um, I do have some friends who have done courses to learn how to describe wine correctly and how to taste it. Um, I am just someone who enjoys to drink it. We have Kaffir in the chat who says they work in a wine company. So maybe a lot of this is gonna be very obvious for you and you already have a lot of this vocabulary. But if you have anything to share Kaffir um, from Chile where there's great wine too, of course, um, please let me know. Maybe I've missed something or maybe you have some suggestions for places for us to go. Um, I will be in Chile in 
probably within the next six weeks or so. I'm driving south and I'm going to be doing the Torres del Paine hike over the new year. So I will be down in Chile pretty soon. Okay. So an element in the wine that makes it bitter. So that bitter flavor is kind of almost like drying to your mouth. If you have a glass of wine and it feels a bit dry, um, is it tannin? Is it acid? Is it vinegar or sourness? What causes that feeling of bitterness in the mouth? <clears throat> All right, perfect. So lots of you saying tannins. Yeah, so tannin um, also is more associated with red wine. And some people find they have a bit of an intolerance to this. So not, not quite an allergy but it might not sit with them well. So some people might avoid red wine because the tannins might give them a bit of a headache. Um, they might, yeah, a worse hangover than if they had a white or a rosé. Cool. Yeah, and Buffalo says also the monks in ancient Rome would make the best beer. Yeah, totally. So those monks um, were making beer, wine, all sorts throughout the ages. Um, as part of their religious duties. Cool. And so most of you got that correct, tannin. <clears throat> so a wine that has been contaminated and isn't pleasant to drink, so you open it up. This is often why when you um, have a glass of wine at a restaurant, they will pour a little bit for you to taste first. One of the reasons is because you want to see if it has gone off, corked, tainted, or if it's bad. What do you call that? Um, so they'll usually pour you a little bit. You'll do your sniff. We'll go through all the wine tasting kind of uh, steps you can take um, in a moment. Let's see here. Yeah, so he, you actually could, for this one, say it's gone off. That is a way to say even food in the fridge. Let's say you had leftovers and you went to open it up and it smells really bad. And you're like, well, I shouldn't eat that. It's gone off. But for wine specifically, there is this term, which is corked. So if a wine is corked, it is not drinkable anymore. It's gone bad or gone off. Cool. And just one more here, and then we'll go into some other topics. So the process of allowing wine to mix with the air, is it called just airing? Is it breathing? Is it mixing? Or is it refreshing? What are some ways to say this? So I think particularly, yeah, these kind of richer wines, uh, people say you often want to hmm for at least an hour sometimes. Um, it would depend on the type of wine, the age, I think other factors, which I'm not a wine expert about, but there's different amounts of time you would want to let it Yes, and most of you got it here, breathe. So you want the wine to breathe. Another way to say this is aeration. So it's kind of letting oxygen mix with the wine um, and just kind of helps the flavors, um, yeah, fully <laughs> fully get to their best, best potential. Um, if you drink it right out of the glass, it hasn't had time to kind of mix with the air and oxygenate or aerate or breathe. Okay, so some of you didn't say that wine is your go-to or maybe you don't drink. Um, so maybe you could say what your favorite, one of your 
your parents or your friend's favorite wine is, or maybe you're from a country that produces wine. Tell us what's the most famous wine there. So Viognier is what Caffer says, Cabernet. So David, is that a Cabernet Blanc or a Cabernet Sauvignon? So do you like the Chevignon? Red, so red in general, any red wine, don't drink. Red wine from Rioja, yeah, Rioja wine is great. Zinfandel, that's a really famous wine, particularly from California. Um, Runer Weitleiner from Austria. Champagne, very famous wine, of course. Rioja again, so the Spanish wine. Yeah, tons of wonderful wines out there. I would say I tend to be more, I favor red probably most, but I think like a rosé sometimes goes really well with spicy food, let's say. So if you're going for like Thai or Indian, even Mexican, like I think a rosé can go really nicely with that. Um, Pinot Grigio, so very popular white wine. Excellent. Perfect. So we have many people who enjoy wine here today. Let's learn a little bit more. Okay. Kaffir, maybe you're familiar with these. I'm not sure if there's an equivalent in Spanish um, that you guys use, but the five S's um, are what you're doing when you are tasting wine. So let me just see here. So the first one is C. So what color is it? Um, you often want to, when you're wine tasting, even have it maybe on a white surface. And so you can hold the glass and see how it looks above a white piece of paper or something like that, or a white table. Um, so that's the best way to judge it. If it's on a wooden table, then you're not going to actually be able to see the true color. Um, so this gives you clues to the type of grape it is, whether it was aged in wood or not. Um, so if it has been in those oak barrels, um, it generally might be a darker color. Um, and the kind of intensity of color might give you an idea of how it's going to taste as well. So usually deep colors go along with flavor intensity. Okay, the next one, swirl. So I'm sure whether you've been wine tasting or not, you've seen people doing this maybe in a video or something. Um, so when you're swirling it around, it's kind of like what we were talking about there. You're letting it breathe, you're giving it air. Um, and so you want to swirl it a couple of times around um, and you're going to sniff it then. So when you sniff it after moving it around, it's going to allow the aromas to come up. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so if it's a deeper red wine, it's probably going to be a bit more intense on the nose. Um, you might start to think about what kind of aromas it reminds you of. You know, is it fruity or veggie flavors or, or smells, um, herby or spicy, citrusy? These are all the types of things that you will be able to tell um, when you are sniffing it. Um, another thing that happens, I forgot to mention, when you swirl is that um, you're going to see some kind of lines come down the glass. And I think the way it is, is if the lines are closer together, they're called legs. Um, it means it's a more alcoholic wine. If they're further apart, it's a less alcoholic wine. 
I think. I remember learning that, but I didn't look it up this time. Um, let's see here. Next, what do we have? So next one is the taste. Um, so people say to usually take, you know, just a normal sized sip, hold it in your mouth for three to five seconds um, to let it coat the surface. Um, this allows you to start to feel the different um, flavor notes. Um, and here you're kind of noticing, you know, like how sweet is it? How fruity is it? Is it very acidic? Um, is it bitter? Those lots of tannins we talked about. Uh, does it taste like there's a lot of alcohol? So this is where you're really getting a big overall impression for the wine. Um, and finally, you savor. So after you have had it in your mouth for a while, maybe you've swirled it around a bit and you swallow, you're going to think about what's the sensation at the end on your palate, so kind of on your tongue area. Um, how much of the flavor stays with you? Is it very bitter? Does the flavor kind of linger? So some wines, you might still be able to taste it in your mouth for up to a minute. Um, yes, so those are the five S's. See, swirl, sniff, sip, and savor. Um, so Buffalo says in the chat, it takes a long time to make a bottle of wine in my country and some families make it by themselves. Awesome. Yeah. In Canada too, I think there's some places you can like take grapes and make your own wine, or you can buy a wine kit to make it home. So once you have the grapes, um, but yes, I think depending on the type of wine you're making, it can definitely take a lot of time to age. So... Maybe you've heard of this um, kind of distinction of wine before, talking about new world versus old world. This is just kind of the origination of where the winemaking traditions happened. So old world um, would be places like France and Italy where they're, um, they actually were probably not the original winemakers. We'll go back to that in a moment, but um, the wines would tend to be a bit lighter body um, lower alcohol, higher acidity, less fruit flavors, and more minerality. Um, whereas New World, so places like South America, um, North America, this will be fuller bodied wine, higher alcohol, lower acidity, and maybe more fruity flavors. And then we have a third category. Maybe you haven't heard about this when talking about wine, but it's the ancient world. So this is talking about where... Um, as I said before, it was kind of like around Georgia and Iran, where they think the first wines were being made in around 6000 BC. Um, let's see, any other points here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the old world is the kind of where the modern winemaking traditions started growing and growing and growing, and then they were brought to the new world. Of course, um, you know, it's kind of a funny a funny word to use, you know, more often than not, this was happening alongside colonization. So some tricky history there, but yes, that is what we talk about when we say new world versus old world wine. So now I wanted to go through a few of the best wineries in the world that I could find just from a quick Google search. Um, the first one I actually used to live very close to in Canada. So this is in the British Columbia uh, Okanagan Valley. So British Columbia is the most Western province in Canada. 
just above Washington State, if you know where that is too. Um, and this place is about four and a half hours from Vancouver driving. Um, this is a really beautiful winery that's won many awards and they have five vineyards bordering on lakes. So it has diverse microclimates across the different vineyards and a range of soil types, which allows them to produce some really um, unique, wonderful wines. Um, another thing about being so far north here is that in the summertime, the days can be up to 14 hours of sunlight. And so if you would like to go wine tasting for a whole day, um, this could be a great place to go and enjoy the stunning landscape too. Uh, one type of wine that we produce in Canada is called ice wine. And so because it gets, it gets very hot in the summer, so here it gets around 35 to 40, but it also gets very cold in the winter. So like minus 20, minus 30 degrees Celsius. Um, and so when the grapes are frozen, a dessert wine is made with those. So very kind of thick, um, very sweet dessert wine called ice wine. Next one, Lavo Vineyards in Switzerland. So this is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. If you don't know about those, I did another stream all about some UNESCO sites around the world and what does the designation mean? So you can go check that out on my channel later. Um, but this particular vineyard, even though they said that it's not the most productive in, in the region, um, so it doesn't produce the most amount of grapes or wine, but it has a wonderful history um, and an epic location here, right along Lake Geneva. And the vineyards here date back to the 11th century. So if you are someone who also loves history, along with, of course, great landscapes, you can access that by ferry, car, or hiking to the vineyard. So that one looks pretty wonderful. I would love to go there. All right, the next one. This is another one I have been to, Denby's in England. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the best wine, um, but they're the biggest producers um, in England, one of the largest. They have 265 acres. They're doing a million bottles a year and they are award-winning. Um, one interesting thing that's happening in England is that as climate change happens, so as the world is getting warmer, the land in France where Champagne is, where that was originally the best land for Champagne, is starting to change a little bit. So the terroir or the land in England is starting to become really good for producing sparkling wines. There's even been some of the Champagne houses from France who are coming to England to buy up the land because with the climate change, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's starting to become ideal for sparkling wines. Um, so for one of my birthdays, I did a wine tour with some friends around the coast of England. And yeah, you wouldn't think of England as necessarily a wine making country, but if you um, find yourself there, it is excellent. And they have really, really, really great sparkling wines. Of course, they can't call it champagne. You are only allowed to call champagne champagne if it comes from that region of France because it's a protected uh, name for the location. But yeah, English sparkling wine. Awesome. I do recommend it if you get a chance to try it. Next one here, over to Australia. So this is another New World wine location. So this is a huge valley. There's dairies, orchards, breweries, wine. Um, so this would be a great place to go 
uh, for a day trip. I think it's from Victoria, you would go. And this one is interesting because it was actually the first woman in the world to win winemaker of the year from this vineyard. So if you find yourself in Australia and you wanna do a day um, going to not just uh, vineyards, but also orchards and breweries and go check out this beautiful countryside, this could be a good one to check out. And the last one, Holden Mans. So I have been to this one too in South Africa, um, South African wine is really wonderful. It has been producing wine since the 1650s in the area. And so the Huguenots from Fran France actually brought wine originally to the Franschhoek Valley. But there's other areas you can go, Stellenbosch, Constantia, Overberg. And one really fun thing you can do for wine tasting in South Africa is you um, take a tram in Franschhoek. So it's like a train um, and it goes between the different vineyards. Um, and they do many pairings there too. So if you've heard of biltong before in South Africa, it's like a dried meat. I did a tasting that had different wines with biltong. I did a tasting that had different chocolates. Um, so this is the way that sometimes wineries will have tastings as well. They'll do pairings, they're called. So that could be just little snacks or it could be a meal pairing, all different options. So those are five um, that I chose just from doing a bit of Googling around. There's definitely more amazing ones there. Maybe you have a favorite one you want to share with us in the chat from your country. Um, I think particularly Kaffir from Chile, if you have a favorite winery, I'd love to hear which one it is. So which winery would you like to visit? Would you like to visit the one in Canada, uh, Switzerland, in England, Australia, or South Africa? And so I didn't mean to, but actually four of these are English speaking countries, I just realized now. So I might not have that much diversity in the, the ones I chose there. Um, that was not on purpose. <laughs> I just kind of was looking at some pictures and some information about the wineries. So yeah, by accident, I've included four English speaking countries. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, cool. And so, yeah, lots of people said Switzerland. I think that would be wonderful if you want to experience not just the wine and the beautiful um, landscape, but also history. Like I said, it's been there since the 11th century, I think. I agree. Cool. Okay, some more tips for wine tasting. So, you know, it's the first point is to dress for the event. Whether you are going for a day of wine tasting, it's an evening event. Um, even if it's a daytime summer event, you might not want to wear, for instance, a white dress. Um, you want to wear dark colors. You probably don't want to have sleeves because if you're pull, if you suddenly are going over and you hit something, that could be bad. Um, there could be a dress code depending on which winery you're going to. Some of them might be quite fancy. So if you're kind of a backpacker with your, you know, travel pants and, um, you know, very casual clothing, you might not be able to go in. Um, for women and men who have longer hair, tie back your hair. Again, you don't want to get your hair in the wine or knock something over. And remember that um, you want to keep your hands free. So make sure you bring a bag that you can put all your things in. You know, you want to be able to be totally there. So that's what you should maybe consider wearing. 
Um, the next part is to not wear any fragrance. So if you have a really strong perfume or cologne, it could impact the kind of smell part of the tasting. And so not just for you, but for people around you, you know, they're wanting to focus on the wine and notice the aromas and flavors. And if you have really strong perfume, that's overwhelming, that could be a negative experience. <laughs> um, the next one, eat something. Um, I think, you know, we all know drinking on an empty stomach is a bad idea. Um, so whether you're doing a pairing, like in the picture here, it looks like they have a bit of a pairing or you eat something before, that is important. And also having some water in between to hydrate. And the next point on that is that you can spit some of the time too. If, if you're doing a full day of wine tasting, um, especially in the heat, I mean, when I did a full day of wine tasting in South Africa and it was very hot day and I definitely should have been drinking more water and probably spitting out some of the wine. So you know, don't feel like you're going to make the winemaker feel bad. They're used to people coming and tasting wine and spitting it out um, so that they are not drinking the entire day long. Um, usually there'll be kind of a spit bucket on the table. So after you've tasted, you can spit it out or you might just leave a bit of wine left in your glass. Um, one thing on the spit bucket is you don't want to do it too hard or too slow, um, you don't want to have any backsplash, of course, depending on how full that bucket is. So yeah, don't worry about spitting um, or making the winemaker feel bad. That's part of the process. And then the last one is take notes. So if you are, even if you're just doing a wine tasting with maybe, you know, three or four wines, you're still going to want to remember well, which were your favorites. Um, so take pictures make some notes, and then you'll know at the end maybe which bottles you want to buy. So those are a few more tips. Okay. And so as I said, by no means am I an expert in this. I do have some friends who during the pandemic did some of their wine certification because they were able to do the courses like by Skype or video chat, and then they would just send you the wines to your house to taste. Um, but don't think it's all just fun and drinking. It's actually very challenging to learn about different types of wine and tasting notes. And so there's four different certifications I've listed here that I could come across. And I think each of them have kind of up to four or five levels and it can take years. So the most prestigious title for someone who knows a lot about wine is called a master sommelier. And that is kind of the highest achievement. But as I said, it's going to be time consuming. It's it's not like um, just doing a, a course on the side. It's like doing grad school or a doctorate. You know, you have to really become an expert on wine. <laughs> All right. Cool. So how do you make a decision when you're at a restaurant? Um, let's say you're out with friends and they say, oh, you, you know, you choose the wine. Um, so it's on you. You have the wine list there. What do you do? You usually order the house wine. Um, so the house wine is usually, it might be the cheapest. Usually it would be, but it's some kind of vineyard maybe that they have an agreement with or that they buy in bulk from. Um, do you just look at the cheapest wine? Do you grab the most expensive one because you want to impress everyone? <laughs> um, 
you take what the server recommends. Sometimes they'll be able to recommend a different wine depending on if you're having meat or fish or a curry, um, different things like that or dessert or just what you think looks good because you actually know and you're like, I like that type of wine. I like that region. I like that year even. Maybe you are a bit of a wine expert. Okay. Yeah, lots of people saying what the server recommends. Totally. I think I I often will ask what the server recommends unless I see something that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm super in the mood for. Mm. <laughs> um, and then sometimes if I really don't know, I'll probably choose one kind of in the middle for pricing because I'm like, okay, it's not the cheapest, can't be the worst. <laughs> um, or sometimes for the first bottle, maybe we'll get a nicer bottle. And then if you're having a second bottle of wine with a group, maybe you can get the cheaper one after that. <laughs> that is another, another option. Um, cool. So a very fun and unique way to do wine tasting um, which I've heard about, and I actually was about to sign up for it, but then I kind of chickened out, um, is called the Marathon des Châteaux du Médoc in France. And so this is a marathon, so 26 miles long with 8,500 participants, and there's 23 wine tasting stops. So it's not a normal marathon. I think people take all day to complete it. Um, at the 38th kilometer, they're giving out oysters. There's steak at the 39th kilometer. There's orchestras, um, cheese and snacks along the way, um, but you do have to run it, they say. So you're not allowed to walk. You're meant to kind of run between the wine tasting stops and people dress up for this. So they wear um, what you can call fancy dress in the UK or a costume, we would say in North America. And yeah, so if you, this is something you wanna try, it's a very fun, quirky way to go wine tasting. I kind of, I did sign up for it with some friends and then I kind of, I think actually it was the year of COVID. And so I think it got canceled, but I was sort of chickening out anyways because I'm not really a runner. And so I thought, I don't know how this is gonna go running 26 miles between 23 wine tasting stops. Might be a bit aggressive, but yeah, if you wanna look this one up, maybe on YouTube or something, it's really funny to see the costumes. Um, and yeah, just something quirky and different. So if you don't wanna just go sit at the winery and have some wine in a normal way, this is an option for you. <clears throat> okay, so now we're just gonna go through a few more things for wine tasting vocabulary to hopefully give you, yeah, a wider vocabulary in this area. Um, if you have any questions as I'm going through this, feel free to pop it in the chat. Let's go. So aftertaste. So this is the taste that lingers in the mouth or it's left behind on the palate after you've tasted it or spit it out. Um, and so this is the one that could last up to a minute depending on the complexity, uh, maybe, yeah, the depth of the wine would be the aftertaste. <clears throat> Another term very specific to wine is the bouquet. So normally the word bouquet means um, like a selection of flowers that you would have like this, you know, like at a wedding, the bride has a bouquet. Um, but when we're talking about wine, it's a way to describe the complex aromas. 
um, after it's been bottled and aged. So the bouquet can kind of change over time after aging. Next is decanting. So this is um, when we allow the wine to breathe, like we talked about, or aerate. Decanting is the process of slowly and carefully pouring the wine from the bottle into another container. So here the container is called a decanter. Um, and some people will double decant, so they'll pour it and then they'll pour it back. Um, there's different ways to do it. But once you have decanted, then I think you want to let it sit at least half an hour. But some people will say, you know, even an hour or longer. So if you're having a very rich red wine, you might want to pour it out and let it sit before you serve um, dinner or snacks to your friends if you're hosting. <clears throat> Cool. Earthy. This is a way that you could describe, it could be a positive or a negative thing, depending on your palate or your tastes. Um, so either it could be, if it's negative, maybe it's kind of like unpleasant and dry finish. But if you're using it in a positive way, it means that you kind of mean it's like the aroma and the flavors are earthy and that's something that you like. Fermentation, so this is the process of converting the grape sugars into alcohol by using the yeast. So this is done in big vats now, often for the big wineries, but also um, the fermentation kind of continues, I think, in the barrels with the aging. This is one I mentioned before. So these sticky droplets that line down the sides of the glass after you swirl the wine um, show the level of alcohol. So I think if they're closer together, it means it's more alcoholic. If they're further apart, it is less so. Robust, another way to say full-bodied, which we already learned. So full-bodied, intense wine, usually talking about a red. Steely, so this is when the wine has quite a bit of acidity. Um, so this is more of a wine that you'd have it as an aperitif um, or maybe balanced with food that has a high fat content like creamy cheese. So a nice... Um, kind of sharp or crisp white wine could be a way um, to describe a steely wine. Just a couple more here. Vintage, maybe you've heard of vintage wine before. So this refers to the year the grapes were harvested um, and then the wine was bottled. So there's certain vintages or certain years that are famous depending on the region. So it means that there was like an outstanding year for grapes that year. And usually the older the vintage year, the better is the wine. Um, so I think sometimes people like to try to find like a vintage bottle from the year they were born or something to have as a special keepsake and maybe one day they open it. Um, but that's vintage wine. And young. So an immature wine that's bottled and sold within a year of production. So this is kind of like the quick, fast wine. It's like the fast fashion of wine. Um, usually it'll be pretty crisp. It might not be so complex, but, you know, does the job probably on a hot summer's day. <laughs> so I would like to know that now we've gone through kind of different ways to describe wine. Um, you can probably think of other words to describe, you know, even food or other, other things that we can taste. How would you describe your favorite wine? So a few people said they really like Rioja or Pinot Grigio. What would be some of the words that you could use to describe it. So tell us the name of the wine and then a few words. So it could be something like 
fruity, um, savory. Uh, and then if it's fruity, tell me which fruits. Is it like a very cherry or um, let's see here. Blackberry, plum. These are some flavors you might get in red wines. Um, and then talk about other ways you could describe the smell. So is it um, you can kind of smell or taste coffee or tobacco people talk about sometimes. Um, molasses, black pepper. There's other flavors you might find too. It might be a bit uh, floral, a bit chocolatey. Um, yeah, these are all different ways you could describe it. So let me see if you guys have some suggestions. And Kaffir, if you're still there working in a wine company, maybe you have some good ones to share with us. <laughs> Let's see. So vintage wine. If someone says that their favorite wine would be vintage. Um, so after this, I'm going to go through five kind of of the most popular wine types and different ways that people do describe them. So maybe you think it's pretentious or maybe you're impressed by it when people describe wine um, or maybe sometimes you smell and taste it and you're like, I'm just not getting it. Um, yeah, robust. So maybe Pablo, you're talking about a nice red wine. It's your favorite. Excellent. Mm -hmm. I'll give you guys another moment. So Pablo, you're from Bogota in Colombia. There's not much wine here, but I did find that there is one region where they do produce wine. So I'm curious to go check it out. Let's let me look it up actually now. Um, I didn't really think Colombian wine was a thing. I don't think it has the right climate and such. However, um, I'll tell you the name of it now if I can find it. Mm -hmm. da, da, da. Oh, I can't find it right now. Is it there? No, I'll look it up later. I'll let you guys know once I visit it. <laughs> um, so a rosé wine. Yeah, so rosés tend to be quite fruity and crisp. Maybe you could even say. Um, Gabriella also liking a fruity wine. So maybe you like, you know, some of the white wines can be almost like a green apple flavor. Um, fruity, sweet, delicate, excellent. Maybe some like dessert wines could be. Could be those. Excellent. Yeah, wonderful. So my favorite wine, I'm not gonna talk about it in the next slide, so I'll talk about it now, but my favorite is Malbec, which you find mostly from Argentina and Chile. Um, and it's a very, yeah, it's a rich, uh, full-bodied wine. It's deep purple in color. Um, you can kind of smell really the dark grape flavor. There might be some other dark fruit flavors in there too, like the black cherry or blackberries. Um, and yeah, it might smell kind of a bit, um, kind of like coffee or tobacco even flavors. So that would be a Malbec wine, which is my favorite red wine. And Karen prefers white wines, which are fresh and fizzy and fruity. So maybe a sparkling wine would be your preference. Karen, awesome. Cool. Okay, well, so let's go through five other types of wine and some of the words people used to describe them just to learn some more vocab 
for this topic. So we have a Cab Sauve, Cab Cabernet Sauvignon, um, dark fruit flavors of black currant, which is also called cassis, um, black cherry, blackberry with notes of green bell pepper, <laughs> um, spice, tobacco, wood, and vanilla. Interesting. And so some of these really rich flavors are coming because it's been aged in oak barrels. Uh, of course, there's going to be different Cabernet Sauvignons. There's going to be different regions that produce this wine. But those are kind of some of the general um, terms that I found that could be used to describe Cabernet Sauvignon. The next one, I think, is a big favorite is Chardonnay. So it's a dry, medium, or full-bodied wine, depending on um, the producer. Uh, but it'll have kind of a moderate acidity. So it's not super acidic. Uh, the fruit flavors range from apple to lemon, papaya, and pineapple, um, and maybe some notes of vanilla if it's been aged a bit in oak as well. Um, I personally prefer like an unoaked wine. I don't really like when it's been in that oak barrel too long, so I would prefer like a steel vat or something. Um, a little bit can be okay, but sometimes I think it becomes overpowering uh, for my flavor that I like. A Pinot Noir. So again, there's different bodies depending on who's producing it, but it's quite acidic. Um, and let's see here. The best Pinot Noirs could include flavors like cherry, raspberry, mushroom, and forest floor, it said. So I guess that's the earthy idea. Um, plus the vanilla, again, or spice if aged in French oak. Sauvignon Blanc. So a fun fact about Sauvignons like means savage or wild. So it describes this kind of wild grapes which were planted around Bordeaux and the Loire Valley in France. This is, I think, also again, one of the most popular wines, at least from what I've what I see. Um, but you'll get flavors like white peach, grapefruit, lime pear, passion fruit, other tropical fruits, and it might be quite herby. So maybe like sort of like a grassy lemongrass, um, tarragon kind of scent and maybe a bit spicy too. Um, so again, there could be some sort of notes of green bell pepper, jalapeno, vanilla, nutmeg, and cloves. And the last one, which I would say is my favorite after Malbec, as far as reds go. Um, this is another kind of very rich wine. So it might be kind of smoky bacon <laughs> scents, um, herb, red and black fruits, white and black pepper. There could be some floral notes. And if it's aged, again, you're going to get that vanilla and spice. And so I didn't realize this. I thought Syrah and Shiraz were kind of the same type of wines. I think sometimes people use it interchangeably. But apparently here, this website said that Syrah is um, more savory than its powerful fruit-driven cousin, Shiraz. So maybe Shiraz tends to be stronger. I don't know. I thought they were the same. <laughs> um, so that was a bit new for me. Um, yeah, so that's it for today. We've gone through a lot of information. We talked about um, tips for wine tasting, not just how to do it when you're there, but maybe for making a plan, uh, different wineries around the world that you can go visit, uh, some vocabulary for talking about wine tasting, and also some tasting notes for these different wines. So maybe you can impress some friends and family next time you're out uh, choosing the wine. Um, as I said, I'm no expert on this, but it's kind of fun to learn. So I hope you learned something today. 
got some new vocab and I will talk to you again soon. So take care. Bye.